Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome to another edition of Send the Light. I'm your host, Pastor Jeremy Anderson, and today on the Send the Light Bible Podcast, Reverend Randy James is back with us preaching an amazing sermon on Psalm 22. You guys will really enjoy this. I know I did. He preached it this morning, and I had to share it tonight instead of waiting until tomorrow. Without any further ado, here's Reverend Randy James. In the Bibles this morning, please receive him once again in terms of the Old Testament book of Psalms. We take a somewhat a journey, not every chapter, but just a journey to the book of Psalms. And today and the next couple of weeks, there'll be possibly some mighty familiar psalms, and probably next week the most familiar of the psalms. But this morning we'll be looking at chapter 22 of the psalms. Psalm 22. Psalm 22. We'll begin in just a moment in Psalm 22. Let's pray. Lord, you are Worthy to receive praise, honor, riches, and glory. And all that we have belongs to you. Yes. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for the blessing of your word. We take it so for granted. Many places over this world does not have a single copy of your word. It is precious. So we say thank you for your word. Thank you for the living word who is Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for it is an awesome book. Thank you, God, that it is God-breathed. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. God, the Holy Spirit, your word is truth. God, help us in this journey. Speak to my heart and through my lips things that you would have us to know today and to consider. Oh, Father, may we not miss you. May we bless you today. Oh, Jesus, may we see you high and lifted up. Oh, Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, illuminate these words. May it transform our hearts and our minds. In Jesus, I love you. Amen. Psalm 22. Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and 24 is actually a trilogy uh, on Christ the shepherd. Christ the shepherd. And here in Psalm 22, the good shepherd dies for the sheep. In Psalm 23, the great shepherd lives and cares for them. And in Psalm 24, the chief shepherd returns in glory to reward his sheep for their service. <laughs> the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. We may also see it in this line in Psalm 22, it's the crushed shepherd or the crucified shepherd. In Psalm 23, it's the caring shepherd. In Psalm 24, we'll see the conquering shepherd. His name is Jesus. 
His name is Jesus. Now David is the author of this psalm that we look at this morning, but we have a difficult time finding an occasion in his life that would call forth this kind of psalm. Uh, according to the record, the Lord had never deserted him, and, and in his hour of need, he always provided friends or someone to help him deliver him from his enemies. But the intense suffering described here, it, it, it isn't a suffering of a sick man on a bed. It, it's not the suffering of a soldier in battle. It describes the criminal being executed. A criminal being executed. Numerous quotations from the Psalms or in the uh, in the four Gospels as well as in Hebrew. It indicates that this is what is called a messianic psalm. It's a psalm about the Messiah. A messianic psalm. A psalm about Jesus. The first part here in verses 1 through 21 focuses on prayer and suffering and takes us to the cross. While the second part, 22 through the end of 31 there, announces the resurrection and express, express praise and glory to God. It expresses those things. So in a sense, it's a two-part psalm here this morning. But the understanding of the Messiah's suffering and glory is basic to grasping the message of the Bible. There over in Luke in Luke chapter 24, uh, 25 and 26, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and then to enter into his glory? If we do not realize and recognize that this book is a book about the Messiah, a book about Jesus, a book about salvation, a book about God's love, we will be missing out on the great treasures of this book. Oh, the God that loved us and continues to do so. Man. So here in this first part, we are being looking at a prayer, a prayer of suffering. A prayer of suffering. There were three burdens, no doubt, that may have drove David to pray for God's help, and they apply to Jesus as well. Notice verses 1 through 5. It says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and they were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. And were not ashamed. The first thing that burden that drives David and no doubt Jesus to pray is this. He was abandoned by the Lord. He was abandoned by the Lord. The only words that Psalm immediately transports us to where? It transports us to Calvary. And Jesus told them after three hours of darkness, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that mean that God had completely left them alone? Really, no. Because he had already told his disciples in John 16, 32, he said, I am not alone because the Father is with me. 
Oh, you may be in those places and those trials where you want to cry out, Lord, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And you need to remember you're not alone. He has not left you alone. He has never forsaken you. Jesus said, I'll never leave thee or forsake thee. Oh, my goodness, if you can just remember in those, those Christian times that Jesus has promised. And his word is yea and amen, and you can take it to the bank and it'll stand forever. He's never left us, even though it feels that way. <laughs> oh, he had cried out that God had forsaken him. But he had been in this mysterious transaction with the Father dying for the sins of the world. He was dying for the sins of the world. 1 John 2, 2 says, And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. Chapter 4, verse John 14 says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Here's this transaction where he is dying, the just, for the unjust. On a cross, Jesus was made sin. He was made sin. In 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, Chapter 5, 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God in him. And Galatians 3, 13 also says that he became a curse for us. Galatians 3, 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us. Do you see how much he loved us? He has become sin for us. He has become the curse for us. He has taken on the curse upon himself. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Wow. There's this transaction taking place. In some ways it's inexplicable how he, he experienced what condemned lost sinners were the experience that he was away, 2 Thessalonians 1 9 said, he was away from the presence of the Lord. There's a time that God had to turn his face. The moment of judgment, the full impact for a moment. He didn't turn away from his son, he turned away from the sin. He, he turned away from the sin, for God is holy. Matthew 25, 41 said, it, and it said to those on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He took that on himself for us. Yeah, that's right. The penalty of hell. He took that for us. However, note that both David and both Jesus acknowledged him by calling him my God. My God. He made it clear that he still knew God. He made it clear that he was still trusted in the Father. Even though he could not see it, even though he may not been able to feel it, he knew he was his God. And he knew he loved him. Now this wasn't a cry of complaint or uh, uh, a servant complaint. Now, he was sobbing with a broken heart. And it was like a child asking, where is my father when I need him? Where is my father when I need him? Oh, you've been in some of those lonely places. You've been in some of those times where you wonder where he's at. 
when, when, why won't he answer me? Oh, Mary and Martha wondered what's taking the Savior so long. Their brother had been died and now he's been, had been sick and now died and been in a tomb for some 40 days. Where were you, Lord? He was there all the time. He cried out. Many times in the past, the Lord had kept his covenant promises to Israel. He kept his promises to, to David. He had fought battles for them. So why now is he so distant? He had been compassionate and just and, and, and there was a sacred covenant and there were strong inter, uh, arguments why God would intervene, but at that point he was silent. When Jesus does it, everything became silent. Have you, have, have you ever got to a place, a, a complete silent place? Kind of eerie sometimes, isn't it? Because you're not used to it. You're used to some movement and you used to some sound, you used to some sound, you used to something like that. But if you ever get a place where a complete silence, what's the old saying? You can hear a pin drop. Oh, you better know you're with God. Mm. You're in a place where no, there's nothing in between you and God. And that's a good place. Amen. Guess what? <laughs> oh, oh, I used to. Loved to hunt, used to have secret radios, used to love to talk over there, a, a swelch knob, you had to get the modulation just right to get out all the interference. It, it didn't matter how, how, how great you, whether you had a power mic or a linear, it meant no difference if you didn't have good modulation. If it wasn't clear and crisp and clean, it had to turn, had to get tuned in. Oh my. <laughs> We might need to get tuned in this morning. Are you listening? Oh my. So what, what drove him to pray in the burden was that he was a man by the Lord. But not only that, he was despised by the people. He was despised by the people. Verse 6 through 11 said, but I am a worm. And no man. And a reproach of men and despised of the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shook out their lip. They shake their head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near for there is none to help. Oh, you see Jesus. Do you see him as he's been crying out, my God, my God? Why is that for a second? Do you see the crowd right across? Oh, my God, he trusted his Lord. Lord, he called him now. He was despised by the people. These words especially by our saying. He said, I am a worm and not a man. You know, that's one of the forgotten I am of Jesus, amen? It is. When we talk about the I am, I'm the great. I am the door, I, 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 I am the, the shepherd, I, I am the, the all I am there in the New Testament. I am the bread of life. I am, but we don't think about him. I am the worm. But here in the Old Testament, he's, he's called a worm. Uh, it's an I am statement that speaks of how little value that the, the people there, the, the people of Israel, the Roman officials placed on Jesus of Nazareth. They cared not for him. A worm is a creature of the ground. He's helpless. He's, he's frail. He is unwanted. Oh, that speaks in Isaiah. 
Isaiah 52, 14 speaks of just how this suffering Savior would be. Now, 53 goes into more description, but it says, Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred. That means his appearance was marred more than any man. And as far more than any sons of men, he was beaten to a pulp and nobody even recognized more than any man has ever been or ever will be. Yes, many of us have, have seen the, the passion that come out. And that was very different, but in that whole life, what he really looked like. Right. He, he said, I'm a worm. I've taken all of this. I believe if his mother had not been there, went through it, she wouldn't have known him. She, she would not have known him. It, it, it predicted how terribly the Messiah would be disfigured by his enemies and not even look human. But David reminded the Lord from his birth, from my birth, I was cast upon you from birth, he says there in verse 10. From birth, the Lord had cared for him. So why abandon him now? David had learned to trust in the Lord or hope in the Lord, as it says in the King James. He had learned to hope in him, to trust him from his very infancy, and he was not going to relent now. He trusted in him. Trust is used three times in this scripture, verse 20, uh, chapter 22. Verse 4 and 5 says, Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted or hoped in you and were not ashamed. Verse 8 said, he trusted in the Lord. He continued to trust in him. Jesus always trusted in the Father. He'd done those things that the Father told him to do. He knew that Father loved him, but yet he could cry, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hmm. Not only was he moved to pray because of the, he was abandoned by the Lord, he was despised by the people, he was condemned by the law. Look at verses 12 through 14. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of action have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. That's where the fertile land, uh, kind of south of, of Galilee and, and, and north of, of, of uh, Jamal, Jamal River, I believe it's called. Anyway, it was a, a fertile valley where the livestock and, and, and wildlife and everything just was abundant and that's where they received their nourishment. But here it says that the wild bulls encircled their prey and they move in for a kill. Not only that, the dogs were ravaging, salvaged dogs, wild dogs that many times lived in garbage dumps and they traveled in packs and they attacked their prey. They attacked their victims. And now the people that were involved in the rest and the condemnation of Jesus were only beasts attacking their creator. Uh, he said they came to his own and his own received it not. They were attacking him. Those that some week before praised Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Say, crucify him! Like wild beasts and animals on the ground, they were attacking their creator. 
But in the midst of this, David looked within himself. Notice 14, uh, actually uh, 14 through uh, 18. Let's look at that once again. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They look and stare at me. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Wow, who is that? Jesus. Jesus. David looked within himself and it's a, a script, uh, the scripture surely of a man that's being crucified. They had stripped off his clothes. They had placed him on a cross. They had driven nails through his hands and his feet. And, and he was hanging there between heaven and earth. His body was dehydrated. He, he could not hardly even talk. He had become like melting wax and, and waning floods. All his strength was washing away. He was becoming weak. He became like a brittle, brittle, broken piece of pottery. He was broken. He was bruised. Oh, for our iniquities. How, how did David know this? How, how could he know this? He had never more than likely seen something like this. But how could he have known this? It is remarkable that David should describe the crucifixion. It wasn't a way that the Jews enacted capital punishment. They used on him. And, and it's not certain that David would have ever had an opportunity to see anything like this during that time. But yet it was so vivid, point by point, of the, the dislocation of the joints, the, the, the nails in his his hands and his feet, the, the being thirsty and gambling for his clothes. How, how can he know these things? David, here is a prophetic song. David is called a prophet in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 30. Well, actually 29 says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. That he was both dead and buried in the tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet. God's word calls David a prophet. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would rise up the Christ to sit on the throne. This was a prophetic song. A prophetic song. We do not know, as I said, just what David may have been going through. <laughs> he may be an experience some of the worst periods of his life, but we don't really know what. But what we do know is that the Spirit of God rested upon him and he prophesied the death of the, of the Savior and how it was going to be. A messianic song. And it would take place and happen to the Messiah centuries later. Remember this word is uh, help us, Lord. Finally, David looked up to the Lord and prayed for a time for strength that he needed. 19 through 21, he says, But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. 
Oh, my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life. For the power of the dog, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Wow. He looked up. Verse 1, he mentioned that the Lord was far from helping him. My Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in verse 11, he repeats it. It says, for there is none to help. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Oh, but here a third time, he asked for the Lord to come near and be with him. And the Lord heard him. He answered it. The sword there in verse 20 may refer to the authority of the Roman government uh, for his pilot who authorized Christ's death. Romans 13 says that the Lord put puts in place the powers that be. And he will use the sword if necessary for correction. But darling, it says in the King James in verse 20, uh, it, it means my only one or as an only child and it refers to the only life that David possessed and once lost it could not be regained. He it's, it's translated and it says it a precious one, the only one. My daughter, my precious one. My only life before God. Verse 21 says, Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the uh, power of God. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. <laughs> now, uh, some of the kids might like my King James that says unicorn. It calls it a unicorn. But here they, they believe about them wild oxen and that sort of thing. And most time when the kids say unicorn, there's something happening, something, you know. But it was a horned animal. <laughs> Sometimes translation gets lost in the English, but it's talking about uh, how God had delivered him. He says, read that for me, Drew, in uh, verse 21, our, our sister Patricia. Take me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. Horn of the unicorn. Thou hast heard me. That's important. Thou hast heard me. Thou hast heard me. Take me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild ox. You have delivered. You've heard me. You've answered me. In these other verses, it said, Hear me, Lord. But now he said, You have heard me, Lord. You have answered me. Even though they're biting at me, even though they're coming and tearing me apart, you heard me, God. You are there for me. Oh, this becomes a turning point in this house. You have heard me. How about those places? Oh, you just get torn up by the enemy. You get torn up by despair. You get torn up by care. You get maybe torn up by sickness. And then God comes over the scene. And, and you've been praying. You feel like you hadn't heard a thing. And all at once, oh, the Spirit of God comes in like a flood. All at once, His Word becomes real to you. All at once, you know He's heard you. Circumstances may not have changed. Nothing may not have changed. But you know that He's heard you. He has made it firm and he's made it clear. I have heard you. Who, glory, I see you. Amen. I've heard you. Oh, hallelujah. 
So verses 22 to the end there, there's praises in time of victory. Defeat is turned to victory. Oh, well, they didn't hear me. God didn't ask my prayer about my loved one died. Oh, but if they died in the Lord, he heard you. Well, if he died in the Lord, if she died in the Lord, he heard you. Oh, there's a complete healing that takes place. I don't want to hear it, but it's the truth. The truth is that we're not made to be here forever. The truth is we're made for eternity. The truth is we're made to have fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Ghost in His presence forevermore. This is a stop-all place. For a child of God can't do nothing but win. And the journey may be hard. Wasn't it hard for our Savior? But oh my goodness. What dividends. Praise be to God. Notice in these last verses, 22 through 25, we'll, we'll, as we march to the end, my praise shall be. Here it is, praise. Turn to the praise now. There was prayer. Prayer for suffering and there's praise for victory. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. Notice the different places. <laughs> in the great assembly. I will pay my vow before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Let your heart live forever. Back up, I now missed a few verses. 22, I declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him, all your offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He's talking about Jesus there, by the way. Uh, the affliction of the afflicted. Nor has he hid his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vow for those who fear him. Praise. There is no biblical evidence. There's no biblical evidence that Jesus appeared to unbelievers after the resurrection. There's no biblical evidence of that fact. You can look at a list of folks in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7 that saw him after the resurrection. But there's no biblical evidence that the lost he ever had any interaction with them. Notice the great con congregation or assembly included all those who believed in Jesus Christ and became part of his church when the Spirit came at Pentecost. But the church is made up of believing Jews and it's made up of Gentiles who form one body in Christ. Jews and Gentiles alike. So the song included that said the seed of Jacob. The church and the seed of Jacob. By the way, you're not through with Israel yet, y'all. <laughs> There's going to be another gathering. Hallelujah. We're just blessed. Because the first Christian were Jewish believers. They were Jewish believers. And then all the Gentiles of the church are by faith, it says in Galatians, that we become the children of Abraham. The great assembly. The great assembly. But God did not despise his son, it says there in verse 24. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hid his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. He did not despise the son in whom he was well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He 
said when Jesus was commissioned at the great baptism. But he accepted, he accepted the work on the cross and he proved it by raising him from the dead. He accepted that great sacrifice. Oh, hallelujah. So we see here in this song that the Lord details the expanded outreach of the atoning work and the finished work on the cross. The expanded outreach of the gospel is through the great assembly, but also is through the glorious kingdom. 26 through 29 says, The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world, there it is, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship, and all those who go down to dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. So the atoning work of Jesus Christ is not only to the great assembly, it's to the glorious kingdom that will be. The image here is that of a feast. And that was a familiar picture to the Jews because they had many feast days during the year. And the Jews were anticipating the Messianic kingdom. They were anticipating what we call the millennial kingdom of reign here on earth. And when a Jewish worshiper would bring a peace offering before the Lord, he retained part of it for himself. For himself that he may have a feast for himself and for his family or any friends that he wanted to invite. And this tradition became a picture of a future glorious kingdom that they could invite anybody into the feast. But the thing is, you can't get into the feast without the right robe. Amen? Amen. You, you can't come in without the right robe. Uh, Jesus told the parables uh, of those who come in and say, Sir, where's your robe? You got to have the right attire. Amen? What a time you have to have. Oh, there's, there's sometimes you, you go to these uh, banquets and dinners and stuff, and what well, is it, casual dress? Is it this? Formal dress. Sir, I'm sorry you can't come in here. You don't have a coat and tie. Not that I really attended one of those that I remember. Maybe I have, but, but the point is you've got to have the right attire. You've got to, have, you've got to be a, a, a right standing. You've got to come the right way. And the only way is through Jesus. And we've already seen that he has become our robe of righteousness. That's how we get into the feast. That's how we can come to the party, so to speak. That's how we can go to glory. Oh, my. The believing Gentiles are also being included in that feast. Numbers 27, once again. And all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. See how inclusive, how widespread, oh my goodness, the atoning work of God is for whosoever believeth. Amen? Amen. I, I'm a Jew grafted in. Our Gentile has become a child of Abraham. Amen? Thank God. Even in the Old Testament, he, yes, Jerusalem was and is his chosen people, but he included me. And he included you. For God so loved all the world. The world. The world. 
This has been fulfilled in the coming of Christ to die for the world. He's made access to the kingdom. Amen. He's made access to the feast. But when he comes again, it's going to be a glorious fulfillment in the standard of his glorious kingdom. That millennial kingdom here on earth. Both the prosperous and the poor will submit to him. Verse 29 shows us that. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. On all those who go down to dust shall bow before him. The, the rich and the poor submit to him and find their satisfaction in grace alone. In grace alone. Orthodox Jews close their religious services by quoting Zechariah 14.9. And out of the Jewish public publication society is translated as such. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord with one name. Hallelujah. Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. And finally, the expansion of this atonement is for the generations to come. He's not through yet. He's not through yet. 30 says, The posterity are a seed. A posterity seed shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. Not only that, notice, they will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. That's future. Amen? That he has done this. That he has done this. A prayer to suffer with praise of victory. Jesus is our victory. Jesus is our victory. The blessings of the atonement in the kingdom will not be temporary, but it will be perpetual forever from one generation to another generation. Aren't you glad it didn't cut off before we got born? <laughs> Hallelujah. A preacher had him sound right, it wouldn't matter. Well, let me maybe put it this way. Aren't you glad it didn't cut off with our grandparents? Our great-grandparents a hundred years ago? You listen to uh, our Jehovah Witness friends, uh, the, the, the number of been met a long time ago. It's not met yet. Hallelujah. There's still room at the cross. There's still room at the cross. Three generations are listed here. <laughs> in the seed, uh, it, 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 there's a seed and there's a second generation and then there's a people that will be born. A seed, a second generation, and a people that will be born. This reminds us of 2 Timothy 2 too. So that means we've got work to do. That means we need to continue to share the gospel. 2 Timothy, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 2, verse 2 says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. What? Who will be able to teach others also. Keep spreading the word. Keep telling the good news. Good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of his coming. He is coming again. But notice the emphasis isn't on God's children. And it, it's not on what God's children has done, but what? But the fact of it all, what the Lord has done. What the Lord has done. Notice that last phrase, that last verse, that he has done this. Amen. He has done this. The crushed are crucified. Chapter. 
In John 19, verse 30, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, It is finished. <laughs> it is finished. He has completed the work. You've seen the crushed shepherd, the crucified shepherd. But oh, Lord said, Lord will we receive the king shepherd. That's right. Father, we love you. Not so much the cross as the Christ of the cross. Mm. The Christ of the cross. Here's Jesus. Draw us close to you, Lord. Help us to tell the good news. Pass it to the next generation. That those who are not even born yet, they hear. Help us leave a legacy of faith. Faithfulness. We tell the good news. Whatever the hour has been, Jesus, today, <coughs> these arms are going to be open, Lord. And the old song says, Christ receiveth sinful men. That's each and every one of us because we've all sinned and come short. So, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, Well, brothers and sisters, that's all the time we have for you today on Send the Light. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Pastor Randy James really, really brought it 
this morning. Uh, I tell you what, uh, that Messianic Psalm 22 is something else. How David prophesied about the coming Messiah's death that many years before he was even born is just amazing. Um, he describes the uh, the crucifixion in detail in Psalm 22, and that that sermon was amazing. Pastor Randy is an amazing pastor. He's one of my mentors, my biggest mentor, uh, and I, I hope to one day be able to preach the Word of God with as much conviction and fervor as he does. And um, I thank you guys so much for listening. That's all the time we have for you today. And I'm going to close us in prayer, and I'll see you next time here on the Send the Light Bible Podcast. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ Yeshua with not only the people in church, but with potentially hundreds and even thousands over the air, Lord. Father, I pray that if there was anyone listening tonight that does not know your Son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, as their personal Lord and Savior, that today will be the day of salvation for them, that they will accept Him into their hearts and lives and make Him their Savior today. Father, I thank you so much for all your many blessings, and I pray that you continue to bless my life and this ministry. Lord, it's in Jesus Christ, Yeshua's most precious and holy name that I pray these things. Amen.